Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. seat everyone and thank, thanks for doing that. Thanks team. Thanks team. Thanks bro. We, uh, we are actually uh, wrapping up a, a teaching series this morning and, uh, and, and for, for some of you maybe that's weird or strange language but l- I'll just explain. Thanks bro. Uh, that sometimes we go through a teaching series and we have a theme that we kind of look at consistently and, and we look at that theme from different perspectives in the Bible and so uh, Uh, we've, been, we've been working through a theme, and I, I want to wrap up the series this morning. And the theme has to do with what it means to think about devotion and commitment to God. But before I kind of go into that, uh, I just want you to all help me do something together. I want you all to pull out your phone. Everybody grab your phone. Some of you already have your phones out, so don't worry. Some of you are already playing a game. Uh, it's going to be boring. Get the app ready. <laughs> anyway, uh, pull out your phone. Everybody, when you have your phone out, say, got it. Got it? Everybody got it? Yeah, go to your calendar, agenda calendar. Everybody? Some of you have that. There's an app for that? Yep, app for that. It's calendar. Okay. Go to May 28th. May 28th. What day is it in your calendar? I'll tell you what it's my calendar. What day is it in your calendar? Sunday. Got it? Everybody got it? Say got it? Got it. Okay. This important announcement. On May 28th, you can go to the next slide. May 28th, the 180 will not be gathering here in this room. So put that in your calendar right now. We have been working for years, and we will continue to do this, which is build good relationships with our city and our community. And on that Sunday, there's a bike race happening on our streets. And it's not one of those bike races where we can kind of get around. It's going to be like lockdown, unless you get up at 7 a.m. and you want to come and sleep in the building. Uh, it's really hard, and we've been working with, with that, that, that team of people who run the race, and we just thought, just for any type of confusion and mess, that we won't be having our gathering here like we, having it, we have it every Sunday. But we are going to have a live feed of the service here. So some of us will tr- get here and there will be teaching and it'll be live. And so I want you to be praying about how you could use that Sunday in a creative way in your home. Maybe for some of you, it's to have brunch with somebody and then to tune in to watch and learn something from the Bible. Maybe for some of you, it's to just learn the Bible and then have lunch after you learn together. For some of you, it's just a neighbor or a friend. You just invite them for coffee and then say, you know, I usually connect and watch some teaching online. Helps me grow. And they'd be like, sure, it's online, YouTube. Yep, we can just watch it right now. Or for some of you, maybe the easiest thing is you might just share the YouTube link and say, I'm watching this, join in. Would we just pray for God to just stir in us a creative way to stay connected together on that Sunday and to learn together? And the reason I'm saying this is we're actually going to be in a series during that Sunday that has to do with evangelism, and I'll say more about this. What does it mean for us to live in a city where we have to negotiate and listen and grow with those around us who do not believe in Jesus? They do not go to church on Sunday. They don't even care about God. And yet we're a church here in this community learning what it means to love our neighbors, 
to love God, to love each other. And so on May 28th, if you show up because you forgot, because you didn't pull out your phone, the streets will be a lockdown, <laughs> you know? So we just wanted to remind you. And we want also you to know, like, that we are so blessed to have a great staff at our church that's planning ahead, thinking ahead, looking for ways to continue to kind of move things forward. So I'm so grateful for them. Okay? Announcement? Done? Pause. Change direction. So I'm wrapping up a teaching series. And, and in this teaching series, one of the things we've tried to do is we tried to come up with like a clever name for how easy it is for us sometimes to quit, to disconnect, to move on too quickly in our lives. And we came up with the idea of unsubscribe because every one of us experiences what it's like to be maybe signed up for something, to say, I'm really, really committed, maybe because people are inviting you to do something and you do it and you're like, ah, why did I do that? And, and I use a phrase, maybe you've used this phrase before, I often use a phrase, I didn't sign up for this. Anyone ever use that phrase? Some of you are like, yeah, my marriage. Anyway, so <laughs> not me, but some of you, okay? Or you have kids, and your kids, you're like, they're so cute when they were small, but now they're not cute, and I didn't sign up for this. You have moments, and I just want you to, in the back of your mind, to understand that everybody who said yes to Jesus would have a moment where they would have said, like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, what do you mean? Tell our families that now we have to follow you. Well, what do you mean you're going to go to the cross, and you're going to die and come back? What do you even mean? And they would have thought what we all think and feel. Like, I didn't sign up for this. But there's something about following Jesus that's not just something we do when we're having a good week, when we're having a good day, but it's this deep life commitment that we would stick with it no matter what. And maybe for some of you that's a new idea because religion or Christianity is like things I'm interested, I'm into spirituality today, like I'm into yoga, like I'm into exercising, but I'm done now and I'm moving on. And it can be easy to think of that when you think about Jesus. But anybody who followed him knew that he would call us to deeper places. And that would require that even when things are hard, we would not disconnect and move on. There's been times in my life where I felt that temptation to just quit and move on because things were hard, to just quit and move on because it was confusing, to just quit and move on and say, there's better options. I, I, over the years, I think about that in my life, even just as a teacher. I've been teaching for years, and I used to teach students in university, and they have a difficult exam, and they don't do well, and then they want to quit. And they just stick with it and they do well and they look back. They're like, oh, wow, you know, I had what it took to get through it. Sometimes it's silly things. Sometimes you're doing something that you just don't like. And you're like, I'm kind of not interested in this. And, and there's times you move on and you kind of try something else. I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. Like even this week, I had this experience yesterday. Uh, my wife tricked me into, into putting together this little game that our kids are using in their, in, in, in their learning this morning. Okay? So any of you who know me know that anything that has to be put together and dom, they don't fit. And so because of your generosity, your goodness and your giving, we got the kids this game that's like a connect four kind of game that they can play with these balls. And so my wife took a picture of me trying to put this thing together yesterday. You'll see it on the screen. It's just an image of, of me trying to put this connect four rinky-dink thing together. And I'm putting it together and I'm looking like at, at the, that pamphlet there, whatever the, the thing, and I'm trying to do it. And my wife, she's like, this is how you put it together. And she put it in together wrong. And then we took it apart. And she's like laughing at me and she's taking a picture of me. I just take it and I threw it in the garbage. So the kids do not have this game this morning. <laughs> we threw it in the garbage. We're buying a better one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I finally figured it out. But, but I felt in that moment, I'm like, why am I even doing this? I didn't sign up to put these things together. 
It's funny when those things happen. They will happen. But it's not funny when it starts to happen in our relationships, in our walk with God, in our marriage, in those moments where Jesus is doing deep work in us. And you know that we've used this verse. It was almost kind of like a theme verse to help you understand what kinds of things that the earliest followers of Jesus decide for sure they could never, never unsubscribe from. What kinds of things did they say? There's a lot of things we might change, but these things, we cannot just kind of be like loosey-goosey on these things. We really have to make them a priority. Now, if you've been with us, if you've been watching online, you know we've, we've gone through these, but just to help you, just to help you so you would get a sense of how good you listen when we're preaching. I thought, I'm going to give you that verse on the screen, and I took out the things we've talked about to see if you know what's missing. So take a look at the, the slide. And just think about the ones in the slide that you, you can go to the slide just with the blanks there. It's just see which ones of these you kind of know or remember. That these are the things the earliest Christians devoted themselves to with consistency. Maybe you don't remember any of them. Good news, YouTube. Okay, You can go back and watch these weeks to just think about it. Maybe some of you know two of them or one of them. But the earliest Christians knew that if they were going to really grow and love Jesus in new ways, that they needed to be devoted to some key things. And this passage is, some of you are like, this is wild. I love this church, the Crossword Church. Okay, let's go to the next slide so you can see them, okay? You can see them all. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which is shared worship together to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's what they did. Now, they did a lot of other things. People got baptized, they gave, but they said, if we need to like posts as markers, like an offense, you put them in the, you know, they're markers. These are the things that we cannot unsubscribe from. We cannot minimize, we cannot, you know, think we'll do them whenever we feel good. They're like, we need to be devoted to these kinds of things. And we looked at each of them. Last week, Pastor Michael did a great job at talking about prayer in this. But this morning, I, I want to take some time to talk about what it meant that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Okay, so in a minute, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. And for some of you, that's like, that's kind of weird that they just only eat bread in the Bible. Or, you know, so I'll explain it. Okay? It could be confusing. But you would be surprised that already in the early church, when you read the Bible, you would be surprised how some people already were struggling with this. They were struggling to commit to some of these things. They were struggling to understand why it even mattered. Can I just have Jesus in my heart when I drive and do what I want? Can I just kind of listen to worship music and, you know, do a devotional and that's enough? Can I just do that? And they're like, no, you can't. You have to learn to do these things with other Christians. You need to learn to hear the teachings of God together and to be accountable to that to one another. And then you need to learn to pray for yourself and for others. And then you need to gather around a table, which was the breaking of bread that pointed them to the cross. And so I want to give you like two examples in the Bible that are, I think, still with us today. Two like surprises of what people did when they struggled to do these things. And maybe this is still something you're experiencing. One of the things people did is you'll see it on the slide, and I actually put both of them on the slide. If you're taking notes, you want to remember this, is one of them is they just stopped meeting together. 
We know already in the New Testament there's some Christians that are not understanding how important it is to regularly gather together with other Christians. Okay? And there's another uh, person in the Bible that thought that they, they can use a shortcut around deep devotion to the things of God. So let me just read them for you and maybe you'll see them. One is just stop and one is shortcut. And they're both on the same slide, so I don't want to confuse you, but you'll see them on the screen. This is what we're told. Let us not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is in the, the letter to the Hebrews. In the early church, there's already signs that some people who loved Jesus thought it didn't matter to get together regularly. It didn't matter to just learn to grow with other Christians in a community like we're doing right now. So they, you know what? They neglected it. And there's already a concern to say, listen, this is really, really important that you don't stop doing this. There's something so important about being with others that reminds you that Jesus is not just for you. That Jesus is for you, and as he forms you, you share that new life that he's forming with others, among others, as they're growing. And we looked at, at some of these themes when we looked at fellowship. You can find that online. But the other thing is I want to tell you a story about a man in the, in the New Testament, and his name is Simeon. Uh, we get an English word, simony, from his name. Is He realizes that the followers of Jesus who are devoted to Jesus have this presence and power of God that is available to them that they start to pray for people and those people are healed. It's incredible. And there's a person who's not a follower of Jesus. Actually, most scholars think he's a magician. And he sees them, and this is what he says to them. When Simeon saw that the Spirit was given to the apostles, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Can you imagine? How much would that even cost? That Simeon sees this and he's like, wait a second. When you're devoted to Jesus and you pray to him, you can lay your hands on people and they, they're given this supernatural power. Like, can, I, can we buy some of this? How does this work? And what Simeon represents for us is someone that thought they can have a shortcut to the deep devotion in the ways of Jesus. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where God's calling you to deep commitment and you look for a shortcut? I mean, I have. I look for a shortcut and how you could do the least amount. If you have kids, you know that they're professionals at this. Clean your room. How much of the room has to be clean? <laughs> like, everything is like the least amount. You should be generous, but how much do we really have to give? You should serve, but how much do we really have to serve? There's always this sense that instead of saying, I get to be devoted to this new way of life, we look for a shortcut to do the, as little as possible. These temptations, I think, are still with us. There's still people that I meet who are like, you know what, whatever, hanging out, being with other Christians, learning to grow my faith. I just do that whenever I'm like free or whenever I'm having a bad week. But already there's this concern that there's a, a disconnect or maybe there's this sense of a shortcut that you're looking for. And we hope that in this series, I mean, it, it has been for me, we hope that maybe you're learning that Jesus is putting his finger on certain things that you and I need to recommit and devote ourselves to in deeper ways. And they begin with very, these four simple things. Deep teaching that was shaped by the words of Jesus that eventually gives us our Bible. Gathering together consistently and regularly to worship. If you've been here long enough, you've heard us say this. We don't just go to church. 
We are summoned by God to worship Jesus together to be the church. It's very different. That's why if you ask people today, what do you do on Sunday? And you say, I went to church. They're like, whatever, I don't go to church. So don't say that anymore. We don't go to church. We are summoned to be the church. And when we gather, we worship Jesus as Lord. That's what we do. You're not here because I called you to come here. I'm not here because you called me to come here. We're all here because God is doing something deep in us and drawing us together to call us to a deeper place. Simeon did not understand something very important. He did not understand how the Holy Spirit actually works in our lives. I want to just take a minute here before we talk about which one are we talking about this morning? Breaking of bread. We're going to get there. Some of you are like, like, when's he going to say that? I'm nervous. It's coming. Simeon did not understand how the Holy Spirit actually works in our lives. He did not understand that the deep devotion that we have to God is not just our own strength. It's not just willpower. If you're a business leader, you'll often hear the word in business, hustle. You know, does your team have hustle? It's the world's way of talking about commitment, hard work, success. That's not what we're talking about. Devotion in the Bible was a deep surrender to the Holy Spirit who, ta- who teaches us and who taught them what it means to be devoted to the things of God. And Simeon didn't understand this about the Holy Spirit. So he thinks that he could just buy into this story. And you can't. The Holy Spirit's power is released in our lives as we surrender to the ways of Jesus and as we say yes to Jesus again. And I want to just read for you a passage in the New Testament. It's from the earliest manuscript. It's actually the earliest letter in the New Testament. Some of you might know what that is. Uh, It's the letter to the Galatians. And it talks about what the Holy Spirit does in us, in me and in you, to help us to not quit, to help us to not move on, to help us to not just give up because it's just too hard. The Holy Spirit produces things in us. And this is what we're told. You'll see it. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is powerful. That the Holy Spirit right now is at work producing these kinds of things in us. Now, the Bible doesn't say that these are different fruit. They're often called one fruit that manifests itself in these different transformative things in our lives. And one of those that I put there that is connected to being devoted is that the Holy Spirit produces faithfulness in us. This faithful way of being constant and aware that Jesus is calling us deeper even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. I don't know if another one stands out for you as you look at that list. But every day, you and I, we get up, we go to work, we have our tasks, we're we're thinking about everything. Every day, the Holy Spirit is producing these deep commitments and values connected to the way of Jesus. By the way, Jesus modeled all of these all the time. And every time we don't surrender in a devoted way to the way of Jesus, you ready for this? We resist the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We resist the Holy Spirit having His way in our lives. And so maybe for you this morning, and I just want to focus on faithfulness, 
What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is, is producing in me and in you this faithfulness to the way of Jesus? When it's summertime, when things are easy, when things are hard, that there's a constant faithfulness to this way of life. And I think about this in my house because we have this plant, and every year I, I tell myself that we're going to try to save it for the winter. Any of you try this with plants? You're like, I'm gonna, it's going to be great, and you go online and you read somebody, five easy steps for how to save your favorite plant, whatever. And you, I'm like, easy. The minute you see easy on a video, just throw it in the garbage. Okay, so it's clickbait, clickbait, all right, easy. So, you know, we do this, and every year we do and this year we did it. We're like, we're going to take this plant, we're going to bring it in, we're going to turn it every day, you know, turn it towards the sun. You ever see that? Every day, turn it a bit more, and the leaves, and the water, this, and you sprinkle it with magic mushroom stuff, whatever. It's, it's on YouTube, I promise. It's all there. And it's going to grow, and it's going to get through the winter, and it died. And I'm like, no. And I thought about this image of how the Holy Spirit produces this stuff in us. To tell you the truth, when I was really, really young, and I read this, I thought the Holy Spirit produces this in us by sprinkling good things on us when we sleep, like, an, like a fairy. I didn't understand that the Holy Spirit produces this in us with, with planting us somewhere and keeping us there when we want to run away. And I think about this plant. Like, when you take a plant, you take it out of the earth, it has all the roots, and you plant it somewhere else. If those roots don't stick, that plant dies. And it gets harder, and you pull it out, and you put it in another pot. You're like, oh, after a day, it's not really growing. You pull it out, you put another pot. What starts to happen soon? That the work it takes for that plant to stay there and for the roots to go deep, to get the water. And so it's always being uprooted. It's always being moved. And the things that have to be produced in us don't get produced in us. And when we don't start to see this way of life produced in us, we start to feel like Christianity is not for us. And we unsubscribe. We move on. We get discouraged. I get discouraged. I'm like, I've been praying for patience. I'm not more, am I more patient? I don't know. Right? You get discouraged. And so we want to learn what it means to say, Holy Spirit, would you produce more of this in us? Produce this deep surrender to the ways of Jesus that is not just willpower and hard work and, you know, focus time. It's not just that, but it's a deep surrender to not unsubscribe, to not just move on, but to stay and to listen and to pray. Now, the other thing the Holy Spirit always does is the Holy Spirit, we are told in the Bible, is sent to us to produce this life in us, but the Holy Spirit is also sent to remind us of everything that Jesus taught. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Maybe God knew that we would have a bad memory. Maybe God knew that we would try to ignore the teachings of Jesus. God said, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will bring to your attention and to mind the things that Jesus talked about. So I want to tell you this morning, for the rest of our time together, some of the things Jesus said about breaking bread. Ready? We got there. We finally got there. Because this is a story in the New Testament that for me is one of the most painful days in the life of the disciples. It's one of the most painful days because it's a day where they see many people who had been following Jesus unsubscribe. They see many people who've been with Jesus for quite a while just decide that they're going to leave. Maybe you felt this in your life a co-worker that you've poured into and you've helped, and they decide, I'm going, a better, better options, better deal, better, more money. 
Maybe you've been in a relationship that you've poured into and you've worked hard and it just like it got hard and you're like, I'm out. You feel the pain of that. Betrayal. As a pastor, it's something I feel and we feel. When we love people, we encourage them and they just feel like I'm moving on, you know. I've got other things to do. That's fine. It happens. But let's not just pretend that that's not painful. And there's this moment where Jesus is teaching and he's going to teach the disciples about this time in their life that it's going to happen, but it's going to happen many times. So what I'm going to tell you about now, it's going to happen. And Jesus starts to talk about this idea that he is the bread of life. Maybe you've never heard that phrase. But he's going to start to use this kind of language. And if you have a Bible, you're taking notes, you you can pull it out or write down John chapter 6. Because John's gospel is the only gospel in the New Testament where Jesus will use these phrases to talk about who he really is for people who are listening. And they'll often start with, I am the light of the world, right? And one of those lines he'll say, he'll say, I am the bread of life. And if you know the Bible well, you know that that phrase of I am was used in the Old Testament when God called Moses. So there's a sense that Jesus is using language that usually applies to God for himself, And so I want to just give you like kind of a context of the story. If you're ever reading your Bible, you're learning to read your Bible, and you're in a section, it's good to to read consistently what comes before, what comes after, so you kind of have a context of what's happening. The context of of John 6 is that Jesus has just finished feeding a few thousand people, hundred people. He's finished feeding them, and the disciples say to Jesus, we have no bread, we have no food, and Jesus says, well, you know what, just bring what you have and we'll see what happens. Not like that, but that kind of vibe. And Jesus takes the bread and he what? He multiplies it. So there's a sense that even before he talks about him being the bread of life, he's already starting to show signs that he's about to do something that's much deeper than just physical bread that we eat. And then something strange happens. It says that when people were fed, they were so excited about this Jesus. I mean, they're in it. Right, they're, they're committed to follow this guy. I mean, this guy can make food. I'd follow him. Anybody else? Yeah, especially nowadays. Okay. Right, you're like, uh, if there's a guy at the grocery store at the door that says, I can make food, we're all following him. And we're writing songs about him. Okay? So there's these moments where the people are like, where is this Jesus? And the Bible tells us that Jesus sneaks away from the crowd and he goes to be alone. And the disciples get on a boat. And for some reason, John says, the disciples are not really sure. Like, where is Jesus? Where did he go, right? They get on the boat, and then what happens is they experience a storm. So far, so good. Miracle, a lot of bread. Now they're in a storm, and Jesus is not with them. Between me and you, and I was studying this week, and I was praying, I thought, if I was going to quit Jesus, it's the storm. Anyone? Usually for me, it's times in my life that feel like a storm where I'm like, I don't know if I could do this anymore, Right? But that's not when they struggle the most. They struggle next, the next day when Jesus is back and the people who are looking for Jesus finally find him. And they're like, where's that guy who made all the food? Where is he? And Jesus sees them. And this is what he says in John chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's a good question. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It's the first thing Jesus says. It's about to get juicier, just wait. He says, you know why you're looking for me? Because you are devoted to me because I gave you something that you wanted. 
I know everybody that I meet, including myself, will always be devoted to someone who gives us what we want. All of us are devoted to someone who we feel we can experience personal satisfaction by following them. That's actually how you make friendships with people. Your networks are with people that will help you. You scratch my back and what? I'll do what? Scratch yours. It's the rule. So Jesus is like, you know what? You've just found me because I just gave you the food you wanted and you've experienced your full. But this is more than just about that. And then Jesus is going to start talking about bread and himself in a way that if you were home alone reading this passage right now, your mind would be thinking about Netflix. You'd be like, this just got hard. I'm kind of tired. I'm done with the Bible. So I'm going to ask you for the next like five minutes to just stay with me. When your head is wandering, you're like, let me pick up my phone and see what that... Don't, 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 don't touch your phone. Phone is of the devil, okay? Don't even think about it. Stay with me, okay? Because Jesus, as it gets more challenging, you'll feel like, oh my goodness, it, it, this is hard. He's made bread, the storm has passed, and now he's going to say some things to his disciples about the bread of life, which has to do with feeding on him. That's what he says next. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm like, if, I, if I was there, I'd be like, what is happening right now? Jesus is like, you know what? There is the bread that you need to live on. There is the bread that you've tasted of that was the miraculous moment. But I am here now to tell you that there's something that is about to happen that is even greater than the time where Moses provided bread for you in the desert. And everybody would have been very uncomfortable. And if you read the whole passage, you should read it, okay? The religious leaders are getting nervous because Jesus is getting close to making everybody offended. Like, are you saying that you, you and Moses, like, are you the same? And Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm, we're not the same. I'm so much greater than what happened with Moses. People would be like, what? And then he has this moment where he offers us this beautiful image that those who feed on what he has to give us will never go hungry. They will never go thirsty. You know what that means? That means they will never be tempted to find meaning and purpose in all the other things that the world has to offer. Do you believe that there's a way of life that Jesus calls you to that makes the ways of the world not even interesting to you? That makes all the things that we see around us, that some of this and some of that, or maybe that, or that. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. There's a kind of peace that comes when you learn and you eat of the things that I have given you to eat of. And when you eat of this, there's a hunger and a thirst that, that goes away. I think about this with real food sometimes. Have you ever been anywhere where you eat something, and after like an hour you're like hungry again? Anyone? It, ha it happened to Bev and I when we were traveling. It happened to us. We went to this restaurant. Our friends are like, it's going to be amazing. But you have that gut feeling that it's like, it's going to be garbage. But like, you're, you're not sure. So, so, <laughs> so, so we went and we ate and it was, it was good, right? And after we're walking or like, you know, it's going to go to bed. We're like, is it just me? Or like, are you starving? 
She's like, yeah. So then we have to get more food. And I think about that in life. Like so much of life is that way. You're like, oh, when I get this, I'm going to be so happy. Oh, when I get the promotion, I'm finally going to believe that God provided. Or when my kids really start to listen to me, then I'm going to be committed to God. Or, or when my marriage gets together, then it's going to be good. Or when, or when, or when. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you're not happy right now with where you are, you will never be happy. If you are not in your heart fully dependent on the goodness of Jesus and who He is, all the other blessings you will experience will never make you happy. Never. That's what Jesus is saying. That the blessings that you will experience only stick when you know and understand that I am the bread of life. And those who have been devoted and are committed to my ways understand that nothing else in this world will ever, will ever like feel that deep sense of what it means to be human, to be loved, and to have a purpose with our lives. Now, I'm not against all those other good things, by the way. All those other blessings are great gifts. But Jesus says, there's a lesson you must learn about bread, that I am the bread of life. And then he says this, it's so profound. He says, whoever eats my flesh, are like, oh, okay, we were at bread. Now we got to flesh. Now I'm almost already out right now. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so, circle that, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Your ancestors ate manna, which is bread in the desert, and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. I mean, it was already hard to begin with. Now Jesus is going to say, bread will forever now be in your minds in a way to make sense of the fact that it represents something more than just bread, but it's going to represent my flesh and my blood. This means that their understanding that Jesus is talking about that he will have to maybe die. And they're like, what? How do we do this? Now, the earliest Christians are going to be devoted to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. And every time they sit down to break bread, they will remember this moment in the story. They will remember that Jesus talked about these kinds of things when he was with us. They will remember that Jesus says, this is not just bread, but this bread is a moment in time where we get to remember that he gave his life for us. And we eat this bread as this symbolic desire to be devoted and to die to ourselves so that we would follow him. And, and, and if you're not ready for it, this is where it kind of, you get punched in the face. Next point. If you quit, you never get to this part. This is the best part. This is where everybody leaves. This is what happens. People start to leave. And aware of this, the disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They unsubscribed. They're like, this is too far for us. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. 
And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. This is one of the most beautiful sections of the Gospel of John where Jesus realizes how hard it's going to be for his followers to understand that if they just want Jesus because he's doing miracles, that will never keep them committed to Jesus. When I was really, really young, that's how I got introduced to Jesus. I just felt like, you know, if Jesus just fixes my school stuff, if he just helps me pass a test, actually, one of the most formative moments in my life, I was really, really young, maybe, you know, maybe 10, my mom will remember better the age, but I, I got really, really sick, really, really sick. And one of the symptoms of my illness was I, I had this big bump on my neck. It was huge. And I remember going to bed, and it started like a small bump, and then it got bigger, and then I went to bed, and, you know, I was like, I'm going to pray. I don't know Jesus, but pray that I don't die. Uh, you know, I was really nervous, and, and nothing happened. It kept getting bigger. I remember one day my mom was with me at church. I, I was kind of shy and embarrassed because I had this big kind of thing on my neck. And I don't remember, like it didn't really hurt a lot, but it hurt my, my soul. <laughs> you know, because I was like, you know, my, my, my I, 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 just I was so young. And I remember we were leaving our church, really young, and this older gentleman who was there, I don't remember his name, I just remember it was hot and smelly. They just said, let's pray for him. And they put some oil on me, which I'm like, this is even more disgusting, whatever. And you're there, and they're just praying for me. And over the next few weeks, that went away. This bump went away. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to follow God because he does miracles. I'm going to follow God because he fixes everything. And you know what happened? The day I had a horrible thing happen in my life, and God didn't fix it, I was like, I'm out of here. I'm not into this. We all have patterns like this in our life. We come to Jesus because we need him to do something powerful. But that's not the thing that's going to keep us devoted to him. The thing that keeps us devoted to him is knowing that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Sounds so crazy. But it's so symbolic of the meal that the earliest Christians celebrated as they thought about the cross and the resurrection. That it would be so easy for them to forget and to think it was so amazing. Jesus, you know, he died and he came back and it's amazing. Jesus is like, no, you're going to forget how much this cost. So regularly you're going to do this in remembrance of me. You're going to do this. And I promise you that every time they sat around the communion table, they would have been like, hey, remember when Billy left that day? Remember when Lisa that day, she just walked away when Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh? You remember, remember Tommy, he was with us and then he just, he left, he left too. Do you remember, they left. The day when many of the disciples decided we are out. Because we all love Jesus in the miracles. We all love Jesus when it seems like things are working for us. But to be devoted when things are a mess and to admit in our hearts that we could never have life if we don't have his life and his way of life. It's so hard in our culture to admit that, to admit that you are dependent on the living words of Jesus to have life. Come on. That's what Jesus said. Now, we planned this series in a way that next week, we're going to break bread together. 
Next week, we're going to take communion. And oftentimes when we take communion, we, we just celebrate communion and we don't think about how beautiful and complicated and messy it would have been for the disciples to understand that Jesus says, you now, are you offended at what this means? Are you offended that you have to admit to other people that I'm the only one who can sustain you? Are you offended at that? That next week we get a chance to come and celebrate the breaking of bread. And so we wanted to give you some time this week to pray and to think about the, the, way, the ways that Jesus might remind you that he's the only one that can sustain you. The only one. He's the only one that can provide the deepest sense of significance and purpose in your life. Schooling won't do that. Work won't do that. Your marriage won't do that. And, and we live in a culture that is pumping out options for what will do that. Uh, commercials I see, I'm like, oh my goodness, like we're bombarded. Like if I only, if you gamble, have you seen the gambling commercials? I'm like, everybody who gambles is always happy. How come there's not a commercial of someone who lost their house? No, 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 it's going to be great. The newest cars are like, they're like spas. I saw a car that they closed the doors and all the kids, you couldn't hear the kids. I said to my wife, hon, look at this. We need some of these at church. Get the elders to get us one of these. It's like, this is amazing. The options of the next, oh, the next thing is going to make you happy. Nothing, nothing will sustain you unless you're ready to eat the flesh of Jesus. Nothing. And this is not flippant and it's not foolish. It's serious that every time we eat of his flesh, we break bread, we are saying to one another, nothing else will sustain us. Nothing else will help us to be those who model that the Holy Spirit is producing faithfulness in us. Nothing else. I'm going to have the band come up and sing that song at the cross. It feels so appropriate to think about the cross. And Jesus, master, masterful teacher, holds together miracles, bread, his flesh. It's like just magical. You're like, wow. But it's hard. It's really hard. Over the years as a pastor, I've been at different funerals. And I do funerals for people, and those are sacred moments where you're with people who are grieving. And people in those moments often share stories about the loved ones who passed away. They're trying to remember them. They're trying to remember the great moments. They're trying to remember the funny moments. They tell a joke. And in those moments when I'm listening, I always think about that Jesus said to his followers, when you remember me, remember the breaking of bread. That every time you break bread, you're doing this in remembrance of me. That he made this meal the ultimate meal of remembering his life, his death, and his resurrection for us. So that one, we would not forget. And two, so that we would never, never underestimate how important it is to regularly surrender ourselves to him again. Let's just stand as we sing.
I pray and uh, I let you go this morning. I want to just read something that just came to mind as we were worshiping. You don't have a slide for this. Don't worry about it. And it's a passage in 1 Corinthians. If you're not familiar, oftentimes when we take communion, we read from 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, Christians are told something very, very important about what it means to prepare themselves as they understand the sacrifice that Jesus made. As they eat the bread and drink the cup, remembering his flesh and his blood. And at what point, this is what he says 
really important. He says, to anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Maybe you've heard this before. Oftentimes Christians read that and they're like, we've got to make sure somebody who's not a Christian doesn't take communion. They often forget that this passage is written to Christians. It's a warning to people who are already Christians and who have forgotten the meaning of their lives being fully committed to the words and the life of Jesus. So we have a few days before next Sunday where we get to celebrate communion together. Maybe go back, just memorize that they devoted themselves to certain things. And God's going to show you some things maybe in your life that you need to recommit to and devote yourself to. And also next week, we're going to do something really important is we're going to start a new teaching series. Maybe see on the slide here. And, and it's a series that has to do with what it means for us to think about those who do not understand the story of Jesus. What does it mean to think about evangelism in a new way? You can go to that last slide. What does it mean that we get to share in God's relentless pursuit for people who do not know him? I don't know if you have plans. I don't know if you're busy. But would you maybe consider making it a priority to be with us next week as we celebrate communion and begin a new series together and trust that God is going to show us new ways to connect with our kids, with our community, so that they would understand God's love the way we've understood it. Let's just pray before we go. Father, we're so mindful of your goodness to us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would continue to produce fruit in us that is reflective of the life that Jesus invites us to live. For those of us who need patience, put us in situations where patience is formed in us. For those of us who need to be kind, help us to be aware when we're being mean. For some of us, it's faithfulness and devotion to your ways. Holy Spirit, would you produce that in us in deeper ways? Remind us that you help us to become faithful because you are faithful. As we go now, we thank you and we celebrate for the work that you're doing in the life of our kids and in their lesson as they've learned about who you are and your love for them. But they will need to see that love lived out in us. We pray that this week you would bring to mind maybe things that we have to make right before we celebrate communion next week. Help us to ask for forgiveness where that's due. And we know that you have wisdom and strength to carry us through the most difficult things that we will face this week. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, for any of you maybe who are this, here this morning, you just want to pray with someone, you just want to talk about something that you've been carrying, we have a wonderful, just a prayer space here with some leaders. We don't want you to feel like you have to rush off, but in a few minutes, please, you've got to grab your kids, and we'll see you next week as we celebrate communion and start a new series. God bless everyone. See you online.